All right, Mark 16. And uh, we're down in verse 19 and 20. We finished the, the study of the text two, about uh, two weeks ago. And uh, I want to go one more time, kind of pick up on what we talked about last week, and then look here, uh, kind of wrap it up. And then uh, next week, we'll start the Minor Prophets. Um, and what we're going to do here, this will give us uh, Lesson 120 in Mark. So in kind of on an even note, but uh, verse 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. And, and again, after, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, so we've got the death, burial, and resurrection. Then he spends 40 days with them. Uh, the, the commission here, the post-resurrection commission in verse 16, 17, and 18 takes place the evening of resurrection, the resurrection, and then he spends 40 days with them, Acts 1, and uh, then he ascends up. When he ascends up, he sits on the right hand of God. And we kind of looking into that, that issue of him sitting on the right hand of God. Last time we looked in Hebrews and we saw the right hand of the majesty on high, the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. So when Christ ascends into heaven, he, he's not intending to stay there. Uh, in Acts, Peter, quoting Psalms 110, verse 1, says, Sit thou on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Okay? And then what's going to happen? He's going to get up. He's going to return and establish his kingdom. He, he will be Emmanuel. He'll be God with us. And again, in prophecy, the hope in prophecy is not dying and going to heaven. It's rather God coming to planet earth. Matthew 6, our Father which art in heaven, bad thing, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, so the issue in prophecy was him coming back to earth establishing his kingdom here on the earth. But until that, he sits on the right hand of God. And that right hand of God, uh, come over to Revelation 3. That right hand of God is a governmental, it's a power position. It's a position of, uh, of, of authority, and it's a position of of. Uh, ruling and reigning, and that's really kind of what we got into. Uh, we're going to go back to Psalms 82 here in a minute and kind of look at those verse, that, that section because I, we looked at it last time. Revelation chapter 3, if you'll look at verse 20 and, and, and following, he says, Behold, I, and this is the Lord, stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. So here's the Lord. He's talking to the, the seven church messages. He's outside. He's knocking. If you open, I'll come in. Verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and 
am set down on, with my father in his throne. So the, there's a father's throne and there's a son's throne. So you've got this throne ruler over the father's throne. He ascends into heaven and he sits down on the right hand of the father. And he's sitting there with the expectation to come back and set up his throne on the earth. And he says, when I, do, when I do come back and I knock and you let me in, he's talking to the nation of Israel, the believing remnant specifically, and you let me, then you'll sit with me on my throne as I rule in the earth. And that's ultimately what the, that overcomer group ends up being, those sitting there with him ruling. So the issue of him sitting, and the issue of him coming and sitting on the right hand of God, sitting on the right hand of majesty on high, is a temporary thing in, its, in, in nature. He's there in order to wait for the day when the Father sends him back to destroy his enemies, destroy Israel and enemies, and then set up his throne in the earth. And, and, and we, were, we began looking at that. If, if you come back to uh, Daniel 7, I know last time we looked at Daniel 4. If you think about what's happening when he sits there, uh, he sits there in this angelic realm, in this, amongst these angelic creatures, and, and I, I use the word angel because I, don't, I can't figure out a, another word to describe the, the, the classification of this, the, the invisible creatures that are out there, the cherubim, the seraphim, the watchers, the overseers, all of these different, and, and there's a hierarchy in them. There's a reason why Paul uses the terminology that he does of principalities, powers, thrones, mights, dominions, and, and, and rulers. There's a reason for that because that is going to mirror what's happening in the heavens. And, and again, as we look at this, the issue here of when, he, of when he sits, he's not just kicking back with the lemonade and waiting. He actually sits in a position of authority and he's very active. If you look at Daniel 7, uh, again, last time we looked in Revelation 4 and 5. We'll go back there in just a minute. And we looked in Daniel 4. We'll get back over there in just a second. And I'm going to take you to another passage in Kings and show you something there. Daniel 7, if you look at verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. Notice thrones, plural were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. Now, the Ancient of Days, verse 22, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who that is, okay? Whose garment was white as snow and hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth before him. So he's we're in the throne room of God. He, he, he's, if you look there in verse 10, thousand thousands ministered unto him. That's one million. 
A thousand thousands is a million. So there's a, in this realm, right in this area around the throne room, there's a million angelic creatures. Then he says, his, uh, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were open. So here is the throne room of God and all these angelic creatures. Again, cherubims, seraphims, sons of God. Again, sons of God is an elevated class of the angelic realm with responsibility. You've got watchers, you've got holy ones, you've got seraphims and teraphims. You've got all of these different classes of, of the angelic creation. There's a large group here. Uh, come over to um, Revelation uh, 4. Uh, well, 5. Make it 5. In the throne room of God, you've got elders. We've got 24 elders. The elders are very specific. They've got specific issues and area of responsibility and coverage. But when God, he's surrounded by this million angels and ten thousands and ten thousands, and he, he's not just sitting around going, you know, I think about the old movies where they're fanning them with the big things and plopping grapes in their mouth. He's not doing that at all, see. He's actually about doing the business of heaven, the business of governing the universe, and when you begin to think about this and kind of consider what he's doing, you and I participate in that in the heavenly places. And it's actually rather exciting. So when God holds all of this creation, this angelic realm, accountable, I told you, Revelation 5, right? Go back with me to Job, Job 1, Job 1. He, he, he holds them accountable. In Job 1 and Job 2, we see it, and in Psalms 82, we'll get over there and we'll see it there as well. Job 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now, hopefully by the end of the hour, you'll see that who's coming to give account to God is all of the angelics, angels, the elect and the fallen. That's why Satan is there. Chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them, now watch, to present himself before the Lord. He's even there because there's a, now go to, uh, on your way, stop in Psalms 82. Psalms 82, I'm kind of getting ahead, but you'll see, we'll tie it all together here. Psalms 82 and verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty, he judgeth among the gods. And that's what we're reading in Job 1 and in Job 2. Now, run to Revelation 5, just kind of real quick here. So when, there, when the angelic realm comes to give an account there's activity going on. God, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, they allow the little G's, okay, to go out and to operate and do His will. 
So God the Father, God, big G. And we'll see in a minute in Jeremiah why he's the big G. Okay? So he's the big G, and he lets the little G, that angelic creation, he calls them gods, he lets them go out and do, accomplish, operate, function to do his will. So in doing that, what we do is we get a glimpse in how God operates in the universe. He doesn't do what the Calvinists say, and that's pre-dictated and preordained roadmap nonsense. He doesn't do that at all. Rather, what he does is he states his will. Look at Revelation 5. Watch him do it here. Verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, that's the Father, a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a, notice, strong angel. Not just an angel, but a strong angel. See, that's a, cl- that's a classification. An angel can kill, what is 182, 85,000, okay? It's not that strange. It's a position of authority. He's the head bouncer, okay? He's the strong angel. says, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? So what's the will of the Father? What's the Father's will here? Who can, who's worthy to open the book? Who can open the book? So what do they do? Verse 2, verse 3, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. So what they do? They go out. His will is open the book. What does the angelic creation do? They turn, they go out looking for who is worthy. The elders are sitting there, verse 5, And one of the elders said unto him, Unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it has been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set forth into all the earth. See, they... The elder sitting there, the angelic realm turns, what is the will of the Father? Open, who's worthy to open the book? They go looking, obviously, because he's upset there's no man. John says, there's nobody. We looked everywhere. And the elder says, he's standing right, he's sitting right there at the right, well, my right hand, your left, you know. He's sitting right there at the right hand of God. See? So the Father takes his will states his will, this is what I want done in the universe, and then he invites the willing participation from his creation to come and to participate in accomplishing his will with him. That enables them to learn to think like he thinks, and they participate in it, and they do it with him. Now, in Scripture, that is called being a son, and an adult in the family of God. So the way that God operates his universe is that he desires sons. Think about when he, you're in Revelation, come up back with me to Luke 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 38. 
Luke 3, verse 38. Which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Son of God, direct creation of God. Israel, Exodus, they're my firstborn son. Israel is going to carry the moniker of the son, the sons of God. You and I, Romans 8, we are sons of God. Lucifer, Isaiah 14, he is the son of the morning. He wants people who can work with him and operating his universe. Uh, if you come, uh, you were in Revelation. I should have had you sit there. Come back to Revelation 1, okay? Revelation 1. He says in verse 20, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, right in the middle there. So stars are what they're called. They carry that moniker stars. If you look back at Psalms 147, because we're on our way back to, to Daniel. Psalms 147 and verse number 4 he telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. That's not the twinkle, twinkle little star out there. Now, has he named them? Yes. Can he call them? Sure. But he's, not, he's talking about the angelic realm. That it, those creatures that he created, then he gave them the freedom of choice to come and operate with some do, elect angels, and some have fallen. By the way, just like man. Isn't that interesting? Because there's a correspondence between what happens in heaven and what happens on the earth. So over and over in Scripture, uh, come to Daniel 4. We, we looked at this passage last time. Daniel ch chapter 4. So over and over in Scripture, there is an administrative council, like a board of overseers, okay? They've got special names, and, and again, God's little g, that's who we're talking about, okay? There's an el sons of, the sons of God sang as they watched, the, the morning stars, Job 38, see? So when you think about the gods, the little g gods, they are representing the big god, the big g. Okay? I told you Daniel 4, didn't I? <laughs> Go get Deuteronomy 10 and Jeremiah 10. Okay? Deuteronomy 10. I did, I, we studied this in the men's fellowship about two years ago. I had to break out the Deuteronomy 10. I had to break out the notes, and then it dawned on me that we probably need like eight hours to go through all of this, but we'll get you enough to, to make you mad at me. Um, look at Deuteronomy 10, and just notice what Moses writes here, verse 17. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods. And Lord of Lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. You see, he's the God of gods. He's the big G. Now, Jeremiah 10, 
tells you how, why he is, tells you what it is that you need to be, in order to be the big G, what do you got to be able to do? You got to be able to create. Jeremiah 10.10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. Again, capital G, an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble. The nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, the gods, little g, have not made the heavens and the earth. Even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He, and by the way, notice he, capital H, he, the big G, he hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. So in order to be God, big G, amongst the gods, little g, you've got to be creator. That is Elohim, okay? Now, Elohim, the Hebrew Elohim, does not, is not designed to show the essence of who you are, but rather it's designed to show the job that's been committed to you to perform. So he is God Elohim to go create and to do, okay? Now, now come to Daniel 4, all right? Again, this is all kind of get us back in our thinking here. Uh, in the coming months, in the second hour at church, we're going to be looking at some of this uh, again as, as we think about this. So as Jehovah, by the way, Jehovah, that is the proper name of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost all carry that name Jehovah. And, it, and they function in that role. And that issue of being Jehovah, I am that I am. He is the supreme authority. <coughs> Isaiah, there's no other God out there like me. There's no one like me as what? Creator. See, if you want to be creator, you go out there and create your own universe. But by the way, start with your own dirt. So make your own dirt. Don't use God's dirt. You make, and you can't do that. See, So the sons of God, the angelic realm, that's an elevated position, more responsibility, more capability, capacity than the others. Now, in Daniel 4, if you, we had Nebuchadnezzar. He gets a dream. He's going to, in the dream, is, has him out underneath the trees for seven years eating grass like an animal. Okay, lycanthropy. Verse 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. So the watchers and the holy ones, again, classification, watchers, they know God's will. What's his will? That I'm going to rule among the kingdom of men. And I'm going to set Nebuchadnezzar up. I gave Israel to Nebuchadnezzar. They're, he's my guy running the showdown here. He's a Gentile dog, but that Leviticus 26, a fifth course, all that, he's the one. But Nebuchadnezzar got a fat head. He thought he was top dog. The watchers see it. They devise a a decree to, to put Nebuchadnezzar back where he belongs. Verse 23, 
And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one, this is Daniel. He calls Daniel to get the interpretation. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, and they give it, verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is one upon, uh, which has come upon my Lord the king. So it's interesting, Daniel says what the watchers say is really what the Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, is going to say. Okay? So what did the watcher do? The watcher is doing, decreeing in line with the will of the Father. So Daniel says, well, what he just said is really what the big G just said. It's interesting, by the way, if you look back at verse 8, but at last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, again, little g, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, little g, and before him I told the dream, saying, Nebuchadnezzar knows that there are gods out there that aren't the big G. He understands that, see. Now, we got watchers. Uh, they're like overseers. Uh, come back with me to uh, Hebrews 13. Just, just kind of catch these guys real quick here. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. And look at verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Talking about the watcher. Verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So there's, a, there's some people that are ruling over that believing remnant. Verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for what is unprofitable for you. See, the watcher's role is to watch over them. They're going to, verse 7, they're going to rule over you. They're operating the assembly. They're watching. He's the one who's now going to have to go give an account of the activity that's happening, so they're watching over you. So the watcher is someone whose job it is is to watch and then go give an account to God of what just took place. You follow that? So that watcher is a, is a level within the government. Okay? Now, go to Colossians 1, but before you do that, Actually, go to 1 Kings 22. I, I just want to, I, this, I meant to show you this last week, and I didn't. 1 Kings 22. This issue on how God operates his universe, the governing of it. Someone asked me one time many years ago, we were studying the judgment seat of Christ, and, and how when we go up and we meet the Lord, and then the Lord takes us and brings us to the Father, and the Father puts us in these positions of authority in the universe, and they said, well, what are we going to be doing? And my answer at the time was, well, we're going to be doing the business of heaven. And they're like, what does that mean? So I had to go, I had to go study some things out here. Well, Daniel 4 is an illustration. Revelation 4 and 5 is an illustration. But 1 Kings 22 also. 
1 Kings 22. Now, we've got Ahab, King Ahab, and uh, he was not such a great guy. And you've got Micah, and he's got a prophecy starting there in verse 13. Verse 18, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? See, Micah's God's man. Micah's a good guy, and, and he's telling Ahab, you're a bad guy. Now watch verse 19. And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. So Micah's going to talk. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. So where are we at? We're not on the earth. We're up in the throne room. And he's got the thousands by thousands, tens of all. He's got the angelic creation around him. He's the mount, the, trans, the congregation in the, the sides of the north. He's got all of that around him. And notice what happens, verse 20. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. Now, what's the will of the Father? That Ahab do what? Fall in the battle. Now, God could have easily said it and it would have been done, but that's not his, that's not, he doesn't violate the liberty, the freedom. He says, who? Now, think about the setting. He sends it out to the angelic creation. He's not talking to men. He's talking to that angelic realm, all the different facets. Now what? Verse 20. And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. So they're having a conversation. Well, I think we ought to do this. I think we ought to do this. And the Lord's listening to it. Verse 21. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? Okay, how are you going to do it? How are you going to persuade Ahab to go down there to Gil Gilgal, or I'm sorry, Ramoth Gilead and fall? He said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now, who had the idea to, to put a lying spirit not the Lord, the creature, the creature, the spirit creature that came up, see. And what did the Lord say? That's a great idea. Go do it. What's the Lord's will? To get Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead so he'll fall. Verse 23. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. You see how he functioned? He put it out there. This is what we need to get done, guys. And they had a brainstorming session, and the Lord liked that. He goes, all right, you go do that, and off they go. He, how did he do it? He didn't do it by saying, "Take Rahab, it's time for Rahab to fall, and here's what you're going to go do. He's, no, he said what? Who and how? Who's going to do it, and how are you going to accomplish it? And by the way, in verse 20 there, 
Some had some ideas and others had other ideas and they weren't what the Lord was looking for. And he said, okay, go do it. So because God has designed creation not to be a robot, but rather he's designed creation to come up and intelligently, willfully choose to follow and to do and to obey the will of the Father. And that, again, is the Son, the adult. That is sonship in Scripture. Now, come to Psalms 82. If I had thought about that one, you'd have had that last week, but you got it this week. You got to think about this and get out of this, the, the, the harebrained stuff you see on YouTube out there about how God works. When it over and over and over again, you see God operate this way. He looks at Adam and he says, Adam, you can eat of this whole garden except one tree, but you can eat of all this garden. I don't care how you eat it. I don't care what you do with it, but you can eat it. You can eat of the garden. So here's Eve. She makes an arugula salad. And she goes, you know what? That'd be pretty good with some peaches on it. So she goes over to the pea, cuts it, and Adam goes, man, honey, that's a great salad with peaches on it. Wow, that was pretty good. She goes, it's even better tomorrow. It's going to have apples and blah, 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 does he? You know, and it's like he just let man use his intellect to willfully choose. Adam studies the animal creation. God didn't say, hey, that's a lion. Call it a lion. He looked at it. He saw the cat-like feet, and he names it. God never, in Genesis, in the record, he doesn't say, Adam, no, that's not a, that's not a platypus. It's a, it's a duck. He never says that, see. He says, no, that's what, and he lets man use. Now, Psalms 82, so you've got the watcher. You've got that spirit. You've got the sons of God, your cherubim, seraphims, teraphims, uh, morning stars, sons of the morning. You've got sons of God. You've got all of this creation. And they're functioning in that, that area of responsibility of doing and performing the will and the, and, the, and the operation of the governing of the universe. Psalms 82 Verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty, oh, and he judgeth among the gods. Um, first, man, run over to Colossians 1 just real quick. I, I got to say this. You got to see this so that we can move forward and you, and you catch what's happening. Colossians 1.16, Paul clearly talks here. When these guys are doing, in Psalms 80, we're going to look at Psalms 82. That's what I'm trying to get to, but you got to get this into your mind. When these things happen in Psalms 82, in the heaven out there, they have a direct influence on the earth. Colossians 1, verse 16, Paul says, And for by him, that's Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Ephesians 1, there's mites. Ephesians 6, there's rulers. 
There's every other name that's named. All things were created by him and for him. Notice how Paul clearly identifies principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, rulers as being in the visible realm, the earth. You can see it. You can understand how they function. So if I can understand how they function in the principality, then in the invisible realm, the spirit world, what is there? A principality that's going to function the same way. Power, might. Power is like a judge. A judge has the power to convict, but not enforce the conviction. The sheriff's department has to enforce the conviction. Or the, the police department. That's the might. I've got the authority. You're done. Now, constable so-and-so comes and enforces it, see. The throne, who sits on a throne? A king does, but a throne is over a territory. It's over a dominion, see. Well, we can understand that. Come, come back with me to Daniel 10, real quick. So, there is a, so, those positions of government that Paul describes, and again, I will remind you, Paul is a rabbinical scholar. He's an Old Testament scholar. He understands this all through, all through this Old Testament way better than you and I ever will. And he writes it that way, and the Holy Spirit confirms it because it's on the pages of the book. So if you have problems or you hear people, oh, I don't have problems with principalities, power, they got problems with the book, not with what you're teaching. I'm sorry. It's, their problem is with the Word of God because Paul is and understands that Old Testament. And he uses that terminology because of a passage like Psalms 82. But before we go over there, Daniel 10. You guys didn't have anywhere to be tonight, did you? Okay. Daniel 10. <laughs> Daniel 10, uh, verse, verse 11, real quick. Gabriel comes to see Daniel. Okay. Verse 11, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understanding the words that I speak unto thee. Okay, verse 12, then said he unto me, Gabriel talking to Daniel, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself. That's Daniel 9. Before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief priests, I'm sorry, chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. In the spirit realm, there is a kingdom of Persia. And when Gabriel comes down the king's highway, what did the king of Persia do? Was studying. All right? He had to get Michael to come, the archangel, the army, to come and help him. Now he's going to leave, verse 20. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now I will return to what? Fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Who? So what's happening in heaven? There's a war. What's going on on earth? There's a war. Because Persia is losing to Grecia on earth just like he is up in heaven. So there is an equivalence, a correspondence of what is happening in heaven. It's happening on the earth. And the way that Scripture looks at the world is visible and invisible. 
And you have to take both into consideration. Both, now, now go to Psalms 82. Both are critical. The angelic realm, the invisible realm. They, by the way, they were there before man was created. They're created in Genesis 1.1. And they're created, Amos 9 says, into a structure, into stories in heaven, a structure in heaven, an organized structure. Okay? And when they do that, and when they're organized, there's a correspondence to what's happening on earth, to what's happening in the heaven. Now, 82.1, there's a description here of what's happening in as this angelic council comes together. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods, little g. All right, now again, this is elect and fallen. There's no, we'll see it here in a little bit, there's no differential here. These creatures come and they give an accounting to God. Now look at verse 6. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. The Most High, Genesis 14, 19, describe, defines the Most High God as the possessor of heaven and earth. So as God, the Most High God, he's taking his rightful governmental position of head ruler. That's why in Isaiah 14, the five I wills, what does he say? I will be like the Most High. He says, I will, descend, uh, I, uh, I will ascend into heaven. I mean, if you think about him saying, uh, uh, 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weakenest the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, this is a look back to the event between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, what he said, I will ascend into heaven. Wait a minute, I thought he was the angel that wrote, that, cherub that covereth he was until god did what iniquity was found pride got him and god kicked him out cast him down i will exalt my throne above the stars of god the angelic realm i will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north that's this is psalms that's psalms 82 1 the conger, the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north they're going to come, they're going to give an account. Job 1, Job 2, they all come. The sons of God come, by the way, remember Job 1, 6, chapter 2, verse 1, who was with them? Satan was. Satan is coming to give an account of himself to the Lord, Job 2, 1. That means Satan, his activity, what have you been doing? Where have you been? I've been in earth running to and fro, looking around, see. They're held accountable. They're the, the up, this is the upper bosses, if you will. This, this is the, the CEO guys. This is the, they're coming together. They're going to give an account of what they have been up to. Psalms 82, verse 1. God. He judges among the gods. By the way, look over at chapter 89. Here they are again, chapter 89 of Psalms. 
So you have Jehovah, the God of gods. He's gathered the little gods, the little G's together to give an account of their activity on his behalf. What have you been up to, guys? Okay. 89, Psalms 89, verse 5. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be, and, and, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. The assembly of the saints, the congregation of the saints. This is about this angelic realm. How do you know that? Verse 7, where are they? Who in the heavens? It's not on earth. They're up in the heavens up there, see. This is, the, this is that congregation of the mighty. So when you come back to Psalms 82, when Christ sits at the right hand of, of the Father, the right hand of the majesty on high, he is sitting there as the Father's designee out into this group here. He's not just sitting around there going, well... Is the year up yet, Lord? Is the year up, Father? What's going on? I can't tell. He's sitting there setting things in order, holding an accountability. Verse, uh, back to Psalms 82. Notice verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth amongst the God. How long, verse 6, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are, notice, children. He didn't say sons of God. He says children. Why? Because they're acting like children, not like an adult son. They are verse 2. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. You see, they are not carrying on the business of governing. They're not carrying on the business like the adult son would carry out the father's wishes. You see, a son willingly, a son does willingly what he is required and forced to do as a child. They're acting like children, and he's holding them accountable. They're not judging justly. Verse 3, what are they to be doing? Defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the land of the wicked. They have spiritual authority. That This is what they should be doing. Verse 5. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. Now watch, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Because they are not functioning properly, so then there's also a corresponding issues in the earth. That angelic creation... They're not doing verse 2, 3, and 4. So guess what's happening on the earth? 
same thing. They're judging unjustly. They should be ju- there should be justice, see. Hold on to Psalms 82, run back to Colossians chapter 4. This one verse, when you think about this, this about the issue of justice. And here's the attitude as a member of the church, the body of Christ, today in the dispensation of grace under, under, under grace, you and I ought to have. And it's not a social justice for one. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Just and equal. That's our attitude. There's a, equal ap- there's a concept of an equal application of the law. Not men pleasers, he just told them back in verse 20, you know, uh, actually in Ephesians 6. Not looking for the eye service. What are we doing? What is God's standard? Equal justice. All get the same treatment. You don't get one treatment because you gave a little more or you get this under the table or that. No, that is unjust. We're equal. On your way back to Psalms 82, guess what? Moses gives Israel the law, and you know what it is? It's the same thing. It's equal justice. Doesn't matter who you are. If you did wrong, you get nailed. Woke you up, sorry. (laughs) Yes? Psalms 82. Psalms 82. You see, what's happening here is the Lord is holding these guys accountable because what they're doing has been an impact now on humanity on the earth. Verse 3 and 4, defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. That's the standard of God. That's what they ought to be doing, and they're not. If these guys were, are ruling unjustly, say, then the question is, is why did God set them up over the nations out there, say? If they're ruling unjustly, then why does God set them up over the nations so that that unjust stuff keeps going? And that's a great question. And Romans 1 and Deuteronomy 32 answer it. So go get Deuteronomy 32 and Romans 1. And you'll hopefully we'll see what's happening here. If these guys are ruling unjustly, why then does God put these guys in a rulership over the nations if they're unjustly ruling? And again, that's a legitimate question. And again, there's going to be an answer. Come uh, Romans 1. That's where we're going to start, Romans 1. So you have to remember, again, we have to think about when we talk about dispensational things, we have to understand it's not just Israel and the body, Israel and the circumcision and uncircumcision. We have to think sometimes about these things beyond flesh and blood. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with what? Spiritual wickedness and so forth. See, Think about Adam. Okay? God makes Adam. 
they fall. We got a seed line issue come in. Abraham, you're going to be seed. He's called out of God. But what happened to the rest of them? Circumcision. If you're not in, you're uncircumcision. Remember Ephesians 2.11? Uncircumcision, called circum, circum, you know, you got all this going on, see. But what happened, and what happens in Genesis 9, 10, and 11 is a critical bearing on this. And it's going to get into what we'll be talking about at the second hour of church this year about Paul looking at the Old Testament, making reference and expecting you to know this and it not be an area of debate, quite honestly. Unfortunately, it is. Think about what happened with, in Genesis 9, the flood's over. The Lord looks at Noah and his three boys and says, scatter, populate, replenish the earth. Okay? And they go out. Establish man back in the earth. Go. But then in chapter 10 and 11, we have that little thing called the Tower of Babel and Nimrod. And what is man now? Open rebellion against God's word, God's will. God told Noah, scatter, replenish, and follow the game trail. You can eat meat. You can do all this. And Nimrod said, don't worry about it. I got you covered. We're going to have one language, one government, one religion. So what did the Lord do in Genesis 11? He comes down, scatters them. When he scatters them, he creates nations, Genesis 10. Nations are defined in Genesis of border, language, and culture. And he creates the nations. But when he did that, he then in Genesis 12 reaches over and calls Abraham out and says, you're my nation, these nations, I'm letting them go to themselves. Romans 1, verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up, them, the Gentiles, to uncleanliness. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, this is a little different. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. When God gave the Gentiles over, He literally takes them and he places them under the false God's authority that they want to worship. The the Gentiles, they don't want God. So he says, fine, you want the the God Dragon, the Philistines God? There's a corresponding angel in the angelic realm. He's yours. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. What are they doing? This is open rebellion. This is Genesis 9, 10, and 11. So God turns them over. He gave them up, gave them up. He comes in. They were already idolatrous. They're already following other gods. Nimrod made sure of that. So he says, fine. You want the ten gods of Egypt that are coming? Egypt's not there yet. You got them. And he turns them over. Now, come to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. 
Again, when God does this is in Genesis 10 and 11, when he's dealing with the nations, and he, again, the nations, he changes the language, so the language gathers the people together, they put a border around it, and then the culture is developed. Deuteronomy 32, verse 7. Remember the days of old, considering, consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee, thy elders, and they will tell thee. It's fascinating that Israel understood this right from the beginning. They didn't argue about it. They didn't have 80 different conspiracy theories about it. This was the facts. Why? Because it's right here. When the Most High, again, Genesis 14, divided to the nations their inheritance. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. What did he do? Verse 9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So who belongs to God? Out of all the nations out there, Israel, Jacob belongs to God. The rest of them, he cut them loose. Okay? So he takes the Gentile nations and he divides them out. By the way, he gives them an inheritance. I always thought that was interesting. How, why in the world is he given the heathen an inheritance? Well, what does Psalms 115 tell you? Hold on to Deuteronomy 32. Psalms 115 and verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. He gave the earth to who? All of mankind, not just Israel. He gave it to Adam, and then he gave it to Noah, and then he gave it over here. He's given it man, see? So the inheritance issue, yeah, he divides up the inheritance in the earth Deuteronomy 32 says, according to the number of the children of Israel. So now we got to figure that number out. So you got two numbers. Come back to Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10. Give you Deuteronomy 10. So you got one number here in Deuteronomy 10. That's not 12, by the way, just so you know. Okay. The number 12 is a number that represents Israel, 12 apostles, 12 tribes, 12 thrones, okay? But I don't think that's the number he's talking about. Deuteronomy 10, look at verse 22. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten people, 70 people. And now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. It's interesting that when you go to Genesis 10, you count 70 nations listed. Spooky. 70 is the number that goes into Egypt. They come out a multitude, see. The list of the nations that come out of the Tower of Babel event where he has confounded the languages and scatter them is 70. By the way, in Luke 10, in the Gospels, and he sends the 70 out, their commission is very similar to Matthew 10 and the 12's commission. It's just fat. So you can call either way you want. I'm going to stick with 70. So, and when he hammers it out, see, 
the heavenly government, 24 elders, you got 70 watchers, you got all these different things. Come over to Deuteronomy 4, because here's the issue. What we started with. Why in the world is he placing the fallen angelic realm, gods, who are dealing unjustly and not doing, why does he put them over the nations? Well, because what did man do? Just as the angelic realm open rebelled, Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, man is doing the same thing. So he says, fine, you want to have them? There they are, go for them. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 19. Now he's talking to Israel here. And he's warning them about the idolatry of the Gentiles. Verse 19. Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. God takes all the fallen angels, all the fallen gods, and assigns them to the Gentile nations that have rebelled. And in the time, and he does it in the time where he divides up the nations, Genesis 10 and 11, 9, 10, and 11. And he does this as he sends them out and he says, here's my will for them. And he sends them. So when you come back to Psalms 82, they come to give an account to him in this, in this board of advisors or executives, council here. They come to give an account. And the fallen gods are brought in to give an account of their oversight of the fallen Gentile nations. Their job is, was, is to judge justly. They don't do it because they're already fallen, okay? They can't do it. They're not on the right side of the equation, all right? Now, you, Psalms 82. They should be doing verse 3 and 4. Verse 5 they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on the darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of court. So when the fallen gods aren't judging justly, guess what the Gentiles are doing? Uh, they're judging unjustly. Okay? They're blind. They're all in the darkness. Verse 6, I said, ye are gods, and all of you are the children of the Most High. You should be sons. You shouldn't be children. Verse 7, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Ouch. Here's the verdict. Because you're fallen, you can't judge justly, and because of that, the Gentiles are fallen. They're doing, and you know what? Here comes the verdict on you. And the verdict is... You're going to die like men and fall like one of the princes. By the way, verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. 
these gods have failed to bring their nation into their inheritance. So they're going to be judged. And they're going to lose the two things that they're holding on to. They're going to lose their immortality. They're going to die like men. Luke 20, he's talking about the children of the resurrection. They're like the angels that don't die. The Lord, Hebrews, the Lord is made a little lower than the angels so he can experience death. Why? The angels don't die. These dudes die. They've lost their immortality. They've lost, these are the, Jude 6 and 7, the angels held in chains until the time of a judgment. There's, their death is their destruction. And when they are judged, great white throne judgment, they die. They're going to experience that second death. But then, secondly, they fall like one of the princes. <laughs> they think they're going to win. Ultimately, and yet what are they? They're losing their grip. Fall like one of the princes. That's a, that's a reference to the angelic upper echelon that f goes with Satan. What did Isaiah 14 say? You said it, and now you're going to be cast into the pit. The an angels, they're going to lose their immortality. Now they're going to be able to die, die like the men, but then they lose their inheritance in the nation. Because God's going to come, verse 8 now, and what? Take it all back. See, The son sits. Then verse 2, verse 8, what? Arise. What did Acts 7? Stephen sees the Lord standing. Now it's time to do what? Come back and judge. Here he is sitting, the right hand of, he's mediating, he's hearing the, what have you been doing, guys? They're given an account. He looks at the fallen, fallen gods, the fallen angelic realm, however you want to describe them. And he says, you're done. And when I get done doing what I'm going to do, you're really done. <laughs> and you're gone. So in a thousand years, when Satan's bound, guess who's bound? These dudes, too. They're bound and cast into the bottomless pit. They're held in chains of darkness until it's time. The great white throne judgment. See, there, it isn't just the devil's, it's the whole fallen realm is taken care of. He's going to arise. Again, that's Acts 7, the stoning of Stephen, and the standing up. Now, you got just two minutes. Psalms 2. Psalms 2. Psalms 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Acts chapter 4 deals in, and, and uh, uh, so forth says that this is in reference to the cross of Christ. Okay? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in Derision. This is a reference to after the cross where he's ascended into heaven. He's sat at the right hand. He's not sitting up there looking down laughing at how goofy man is. You know what I mean? We do that. He's not doing that, see. He's looking down there going, you're done. You're toast. 
and you messed it. Verse 5, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Paul in Acts 13 says that is a reference to the resurrection. That's where Jesus Christ gets his authority to sit on the throne, to sit in judgment as the judge, and then to come back and take it all away from the enemy. Why? Because he died, he was buried, and he rose again. That was a secret, by the way, not revealed until the Apostle Paul. That's why in Matthew 28, he says, verse 18, all power is mine now. Why? Because I was resurrected. Death couldn't hold me. So when he stands up, it's time for him to come back. Arise, O God. Come. Judge it. Get it done. And he's coming back. So Mark is, is the only one that ends this way because the work's done and it's time for him to sit until time to come back. And that's what we learn out of Acts 1 and 2 and so forth, okay? So the, God runs the universe. It's a, it's a government, and he runs it. He doesn't dictate. He says, this is my will, what I want done. Ideas, let's brainstorm it, then let's go get it done. Here's my will. I'm going to be God ruling in the kingdom of men. The watchers see Nebuchadnezzar getting out of line a little bit, and they bring him back in with seven years of acting like a cow out in the field under the tree. And it brings him back. And Daniel says, what the watchers said is what the Most High said. It's, so the watchers' decree is in line with the will of the Holy One, of the Most High. And that's what's going to happen. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, ah! But yet it takes place. Okay? All right, thus ends Mark. <laughs> but I started it last week, and I just kind of wrapped it up. Psalms 82, everything you read, you, gotta, you have to remember visible and invisible. There's a correspondence. So when, when we see things happening here in Scripture, there's a corresponding event in the heavenly places. And uh, that's why we make manifest Ephesians 3 there, to the intent, I had the verse, I got to look at it, hang on. Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. What we do here on the earth impacts the heavenly place. There's that correspondence. As we put on display the manifold wisdom of God in our lives, in our thinking, in everything we do, there's an angelic realm watching that going, that's what that's supposed to look like. What in the world was that? Oh, look at that. He dropped the ball. Ah, but look at him. He fixed it. Oh, okay. All right. And they have that conversation ongoing. And just as you and I interact with lost people, that angelic realm is operating the same. And I call them angels because I just don't know. If I say creature, you think of a horse or a cow. And they're not that. They're, they're angelic realms. They're angelic creatures. And they have those different classifications. Okay? All right. So we've officially gone over an hour now. Okay?
All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into these things just so that we can see how you operate and how you function in your universe and then ultimately the place that we have it as we are commissioned to sit in the reign and the rule in the heavenly places for all eternity. In your name we pray, amen.